Well, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 24, if you want to take your Bibles out and go there. Um, But before we get into the Word, as you're getting it out, getting your app out, I I want to tell you about something that's that's really important to me. Uh, If you've been around for a while, you know that I am very passionate about pie. Um, We're not actually going to talk about pie, but, well, maybe a little bit. I, I really like pie, and if you put any, really any pie against nearly any cake, pie will win. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fact. Um, but there's one particular cake that I really, really enjoy. And that is, that is a tres leches cake. And I don't know who it was. Yeah, there we go. You know about it. You've been there. Okay. I don't know who decided that what we needed to do to this sponge was to stab it a bunch of times and then pour cream and milk and and condensed milk and other stuff in it, but that person is a real Christian. Um, They they did something right. And and I I remember going to a meal out to eat with my family, and we were eating, and it was a good time, and saw on the menu tres leches cake, and, and there was, I'm sure, some sort of description, but, and maybe even a picture, I don't remember, but there was nothing there that really helped me to experience the reality of that tres leches cake. I knew that it was there, I knew that it was on the menu, I knew factually, okay, this consists of various ingredients to make the sponge, and there's, you know, kind of a whipped topping, and inside it there are various three different kinds of cream, because that's what it means, and I knew a lot about it, but I ordered it, and me and my family, we picked up spoons, and, and I ate it, and it was one of those moments where you, you have this uh, reflex giggle. I don't know. Some of the men are like, I've never had that. I don't giggle. But if you're honest, you do. Uh, and and, and I, I almost got emotional because it was so good, and I really really enjoyed it. And the point I want to make is that when it comes to Jesus, we don't just want to know about him. We don't just want to know kind of some descriptions. I think many of us come to church expecting to receive some descriptions. We kind of catalog it in our minds and we say, well, that's well enough. When what I want to encourage you is that God's desire is not that you would have descriptions, but that you'd have an experience of the reality of Jesus Christ. That he wouldn't be a distant historical figure that you learn about and you, you kind of shelf that uh, on the shelf of your mind in the same way that you might study about uh, Lincoln and learn about some of the things that he did and, and say, well, that's inf- information that will be helpful for my life. I, I, that's good to know. But no, he wants to enter into your reality today. He wants to, to greet you where you are. And as Luke is writing, I think it's Luke's desire, not that we would just know about Jesus, but that we would be able to see and, and to say with the psalmist that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So we're going to read out of Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read, and I'd like you to stand with me in reverence to the word as we read together. Again, I'll read out loud and, and you can follow along. Luke 24 verses 13 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet and mighty indeed and word before, the, uh, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they had not found his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24. So some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that by your revelatory word, your scriptures, that we would go from being resigned to the small and incorrect realities that we have embraced to the grand and great hope of recognizing Jesus for who he is. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold Jesus for who he is, not just a dead prophet, but as a living Savior, as the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules and reigns from heaven victorious. God, I pray that by your spirit you would minister a sense of the reality of who Jesus is. By your scriptures would you open to us the reality of who Jesus is. And God, I pray that we would embrace that reality and that it would, it would change us and transform us into people who no longer depend upon the hopes of 20 years or 10 years or the next thing or, or 50 years from now, but our hope would be set in eternity. Holy Spirit, minister to this people, I pray. Move us along. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Luke is writing this 
this gospel, this is the gospel according to Luke. And if you go to chapter 1, you see that he's writing to this person. We don't know exactly who it is. It's a person, maybe a group of people named Theophilus. It says, Inasmuch as been, has been undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word uh, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He wants us to have certainty concerning the things about Jesus Christ. And I'm looking around, and and I recognize that some of you, you've come to church not because you have certainty or you want certainty, but because that's what your mama told you to do. And every Easter... Every Christmas, you know, maybe every now and again when you start to feel a little bit bad, you go to church, you kind of clean yourself off, you hear a sermon, you sing some songs or you watch other people sing songs in order to feel better. And I want to tell you that as we look at this word, Luke's goal is not to just make you feel better because you're here. His goal is to help you have certainty about who Jesus Christ is. And at that point, you have to make a decision of what you want to do in response to who he is. Luke wants us to go from resignation through his revelation into recognition. We see on the road to Emmaus that these these two individuals go from, from being resigned to the reality that they had embraced through Jesus' revelation, specifically in his word, laying a foundation and a pathway in order that they might receive a real recognition of who Jesus is. So let's talk about resignation. These were two individuals who were trying to regroup. It says in verse 13 that that very day, two of them were going to the village. That very day, if we go back a verse, is the very day that these women went to the tomb and Peter went afterwards. Peter rose, it says in verse 12, and ran to the tomb because that's what Peter does. He's impetuous and he's always running. He stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. And then it says that very day. These, these two individuals, they were, they were trying to regroup. They were confused. You have to imagine, uh, if you don't know the the where this falls in the storyline, a few days before, this, this guy, Jesus, that they had been following, that they'd kind of devoted their lives to, that they had entrusted themselves and their future to, has gotten arrested, beaten, and executed. I mean, can you imagine joining a nonprofit that's intended to change the world only to find out that the leader of that nonprofit is convicted of a, as a criminal and executed? And then, three days later, you find this weird thing that, that his tomb or his, his, his coffin, the place where he's supposed to lay, is empty. What is going on? They're confused. Not only are they confused, they're, they've lost hope. Jesus begins this conversation. Hey, guys, what are you all talking about? What are you talking about? And, and you can... The, the Bible's ironic. As a side note, if you get bored with the Bible, if you'll just pause for a second, this is funny. They are talking to Jesus and informing Jesus about Jesus. 
It's like when you're a parent and you ask the kid, they broke the, the, the jar, and you're like, Billy, what happened? And Billy begins to unravel a story, and you're like, okay, because you already know what happened. Now, in that case, they were lying. In this case, they're telling the truth. Billy's, anyways, we'll talk about it later. Um, so Jesus says, what's happening? And they stop. They're sad. They're confused. And they look at him. And they're, are you, are you an alien? And this would be the equivalent of, of September 12th, 2001, being in New York and, and asking someone, hey, what's all the hubbub about? You'd be like, are you from space? You don't know what's going on. They're, they're confused by this, and they've lost hope. In verse 21, it says that we had hoped. They begin to explain. He, he asked what things have been going on, and he said, uh, Cleopas says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. In their mind, he was just a prophet. They had resigned to him being a prophet because prophets die. God doesn't die. They go on. And how our chief priests and rulers had delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They, they had a hope that was now broken. They had lost hope. Have you lost hope? Now, the, the, the thing about this is that Jesus has a bigger hope that he's going to draw them into. They, they had hoped that, that God would redeem Israel, and that, that's a legitimate hope. From, from Exodus, we see that God was a God who would, who, really from Genesis, he would gather a people to himself. These would be his people, and then when things went poorly, he would redeem them. And the whole book of Exodus is about God, what? Redeeming the people, taking them from slavery into freedom, redeeming them. Purchasing them, saving them. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that the people of Israel are, were constantly being called back by God. They would go into exile and then they would come back and God would redeem his people. This was a fair expectation and hope. In Isaiah, not Isaiah, in, in Psalm 119, we hear an echo of this. Verse 9 He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. How holy and awesome is his name. Or Psalm 130. Verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. They had an idea of what to hope for, but their hope was too Small. They had this idea that, that a, a leader would come and he would be this exalted ruler who would, who would free them from, from Roman oppression, that they would rule and reign on earth. And even some of his disciples had these conversations, hey, can I be in your cabinet, right? Can I be the secretary of defense? And Jesus is saying, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're asking for because you have no idea the kind of ruler that I'm going to be. Their hope was too small. God had planned not only to redeem Israel, but to redeem people from every nation. God's plan from the beginning was to bless the peoples. As he calls Abram, who would become Abraham, who would become the, the people of Israel, 
In Genesis 28, listen to the words that, Jesus, that God says to him. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. Period. That, that's how the Israelites tended to view that promise. I'll make you a great nation. Period. But that's not where the sentence ends. He says this. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in, your, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Christian, if you're in this room and you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved not just so that you don't have to go to hell. Salvation is not a get out of hell free card. You have been saved in order to invite others into that salvation. You have been called in order to, to call others to Jesus Christ himself. The Israelites were never intended to be redeemed, period. There was a redemption for the sake of the nations, for the sake of the peoples of the world. And his plan and his purpose, it was greater than their hope. God has a plan to bless you. But it doesn't terminate with you. And it, and it probably doesn't look like the kind of blessing you might expect. C.S. Lewis, in one of his most famous quotes, talks about the way that we pursue things that we hope for and how small those things are. In his book, The Weight of Glory, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering natures of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And he makes this comparison like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You hear what he's saying? We're, we're so happy to mess around with our own dirt and junk and mess when God is beckoning us to go see the glory of the sea. He finishes and says, we are far too easily pleased. Some of you, you've come here and, and in the back of your mind, you're, you're hoping for a little bit more hope. Just maybe just a token of more hope. In your marriage, you just, just, just a life hack. Just let me walk away and, and have the pastor tell me just something that can make me bear it through the next week. Some of you, you've come here and you're, 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 you're thinking about your kids and you're just saying, can I just have just a little bit more, just a tiny little bit more, just a little tweak, something that can, can make this sustainable till I figure out the next thing. Some of you, you, you you're looking at your life and you're, you're so focused on, on here and now and tomorrow and the next day and the things that bring you pleasure and joy and satisfaction in this moment that you wouldn't even begin to think about what it could look like to experience eternity. God has a bigger hope for you. Now these men, they were blind. These two individuals were blind. They had heard the testimony of the women who were at the tombs and they were amazed, but they didn't believe that Jesus had risen. Listen to the other words. He says in verse 22, Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they had not found his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of an angel, or a vision of angels, who said that he was alive, talking about Jesus. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They didn't see Jesus. They saw this angel, and they come back and report it, and, and, and they're amazed. Well, that sounds fantastic. That is, that is fantastical. That's, that's dynamic, but they didn't believe him. They didn't believe them. But Jesus planned to change their resignation to recognition. But first, he had to pave the way through his own personal revelation. When I use the term revelation, I'm speaking of Scripture. So Jesus gives them a mini VBS. Okay, VBS is Vacation Bible School. (laughs) You grew up, I grew up in a Baptist context, and it was, I mean, now it's kind of like free babysitting for a week, apparently, but um, Vacation Bible School, it was Sunday school? Okay, that's okay if if you're not tracking, that's fine. But Jesus has a, a Bible study with these guys. He sits down and begins to talk to them about Scripture. Jesus says in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, they had the common language in this idea of a Christ or a Messiah or an anointed one. They, they all understood that God had promised after King David, who was in the Old Testament, that there would be another king who would be much like him. In the sense that he would be a man after God's own heart and he would rule and reign and bring in the kingdom of God. And they understood that, but kind of not really. Because they were looking for a political kingship and a sociological kingship. And God, God's rule and reign, it has political and sociological implications, but it doesn't start there. And so he gives them this Bible study to talk about what the Messiah was supposed to be like. And, and I wonder, what do you think he covered I mean, as a pastor, I would have enjoyed having been there. That would be helpful to my ministry. That'd be nice. And I I was thinking about this, and I was wondering, maybe maybe he looked at Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and he creates Adam and Eve, and and the serpent comes and, and invites them into temptation, and they sin. And we see in chapter 3 that God is putting curses on, on these individuals and because of their sin. But he says this. He says to the serpent in verse 15, I will put enmity, I will make enemies of you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Maybe, maybe he was saying, you know what, in the beginning, you remember that? The Christ had to be bruised in the heel, but he was going to crush the serpent and the work of the serpent. Maybe he looked at, at Isaiah chapter 7. Probably he looked at a lot of Isaiah. Maybe he looked at Isaiah chapter 7, and he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall uh, eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was chapter 9, where he says, Unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, that, that Messiah peace, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and evermore. Maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was Psalm 22. We, we heard these words on, on Friday at our Good Friday service. Jesus speaks the first line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my own groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not hear. You do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted, and they trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the crucifixion story, but these words came out of those who were standing at the cross where Jesus was. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. This guy, he trusts in the Lord. Why, why doesn't God take him off the, the cross if, he, if he's such a big deal? The Christ had to suffer. Maybe he looked at Micah. Chapter 5. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Maybe... Maybe it was back in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Does that, does that sound like Jesus, one who would carry our grief and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God? We looked at him and said, surely he's cursed by God. But he was wounded not for his transgressions, but for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. That word means the, the twistedness of my own soul. He paid the price for that. Upon him was the chastisement or the, the punishment for, that brought me peace. And with his stripes, and we're not talking about a shirt, we're talking about the stripes on the back that came from a whip, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I'm not sure what he taught, but I know that Jesus was shifting his view of what God wanted to accomplish in and through the Messiah. They had a small hope and a small idea. We, we want a kingdom. We want, we want to be better than Rome. When God was saying, no, 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 I'm establishing a kingdom over all creation. We, we want to be in charge of, of, of this group of people. We want to call the shots in these things. No, I want you to rule and reign and judge angels. That sounds weird. If you've never come to church, welcome to church. There's a promise in, in the New Testament that we'll judge angels. I don't know what that looks like. We'll talk later. Do you want to know Jesus? The Bible is about Jesus. You know, one of the reasons that we don't read the Bible is because uh, we think that the Bible is an encyclopedia. 
Now, it is encyclopedic in, in terms of, like, it's a lot. It's a lot of books, a lot of pages, you know, um, a lot of notes, a lot of weird things in the middle. So I can understand if you're like, I don't know. I don't know. But, but the problem is, if you come to the Bible and just assume it's an encyclopedia, then you're going to treat it like an encyclopedia. And what do we do with encyclopedias? We get the information we need, and then we put it back, or we just close the window. <laughs> we, no one owns them. You remember Encyclopedia Britannica? Like the whole set? Yeah. And Wikipedia is like, we, got, we did it better. Um, when you treat the Bible like that, you, it, it makes sense that you would not try to read the Bible every day because most normal people don't read encyclopedias every day. You remember the phone book? I got the phone book a few, like, I think it was last year sometime. I was like, what is this? Why is it this? I, I think the phone book was wondering it itself. It was like, I don't know why I'm here either, man. But sometimes that's what we treat the Bible. Let me get God's number. Okay, let me call Jesus. Please help me with my problems. Okay, amen, bye. And, we, and it's a phone book. And it's as obsolete to your life and my life as a phone book. But let me tell you, this book is intended to show you who Jesus is. It's intended to open us up to see who we are and how Jesus matters in your life. And let me tell you, Jesus matters in your life. He's not some sort of historical figure that was, well, isn't interesting to find out about. No, he has demands on your life and my life today. You were not made to live 80 years and then nothing. One day you will face Jesus. I say that to you as someone who is responsible to, to at least encourage you in that direction. You are going to face Jesus. Whether you want to or not. Whether you agree with me or not. Jesus was paving the way to recognition, but uh, his Bible study went so long that it was time for dinner. It says, uh, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going a little further. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, in college, you know, as a, as a young college student, you, you maybe hang out with your parents or other, you know, more mature adults who have, you know, jobs and uh, money. Yes, and they'd invite you out to eat, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to meet you, go out to eat with you, and they're like, I'll pay, and you'd have what's, what's what I'd call the college no, which is like, you'd, that's the first no, like, oh, c come out to eat, I'll pay for you, and then you're like, that's, no, that's okay, it's the polite, you know, don't, but the second they say, no, seriously, okay, fine, I'm there, <laughs> and I'm buying dessert, it's gonna be trust such as, okay, Jesus, he kind of, he walks, and like, he's like, I, I'm, I'm going to go and like, no, 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 come on, come on, let's have dinner. So it's okay. Okay. And he sits down and we go from resignation through revelation to this moment of recognition. The guys want to show him hospitality. Um, and they sit down to eat and, and Jesus takes the bread uh, it says in verse 30, when, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And it was in that moment that they were like, I get it. And, and I wonder how many times they'd eaten a meal with him. Again, this is ironic. He's, it's Jesus. They're asking Jesus to ask God to bless the food. 
Maybe they were there with the, the, the 5,000 who had been fed. Maybe they saw Jesus taking the little boy's meal and, and, and bless the food and break it. And Maybe they had been in that, that collection of people. Maybe they, they were there when he celebrated Passover with them, where they took the, the, the food and he blessed it and he, he, they, they passed out the unleavened, unleavened bread. Maybe they were even there at the Last Supper. Who knows? But there's something about this moment, this visceral moment, where, where it, it clicks. You ever have those moments in your life where you say something or you do something, and then all of a sudden you're like, I am my dad. Or I am my mom. As I've gotten older, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, it's my dad. Not necessarily positively or negatively, just kind of surprised. Because I remember when I was a kid, my dad was old. And so now I'm looking and I'm old. I, I hear myself talk and say things and what was that? I, I, talk, I tell my kids to stop cutting up. That's, that's not, no one says that. I think my dad said it. I don't know. But you have these moments where the relationship that you've had with these people it rubs off in such a way that there's a visceral response in these moments. You know, spouses, you understand this. If you've been married long enough, you have these, these moments where you're talking and it's like different conversation or different back and forth, back and forth, and then you both say the same thing. And you're like, let's get your such as. And you're like, we're married, you know? And you have this, we have the same mind. We're thinking the same thoughts. Even to the point that you're away from your spouse and you're like, I know what she would think in this moment. I know what he would think of this moment. So here these guys are, disciples of Jesus, and, and they have this breaking bread moment, and they realize, hey, this is him. They recognize him, and it says, Jesus vanishes, right? He, he, he does his, his thing, and he's like, bye, guys. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures. That's a, that's a good way of describing when God is at work in your heart. You hear scripture and all of a sudden there's a burning. There's a sense of, ah, there's something I got to do here. There's, there's a motivation. There's, there's energy flowing. There's grace. There's, there's transformation. Something's happening. That's the kind of thing that God wants to do in your life. They recognized him. And now it made sense. You know, they had had all these doubts, all these concerns, all these issues. You know, we thought he was this, but he's really that. He said he was going to live, but he died, and, and he's not in the tomb. And all of these loose ends, in a moment, they get tied together. And they, they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And Simon's like, I know, that's what I said. Then they told what had happened on the road, how it was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They recognized that Jesus was alive. They went from being resigned to losing the little hopes to God taking them through his revelation to prepare the way for them to recognize who he is. To really apprehend, not just, okay, Jesus, he's an important guy. No, but he's my savior. Where are you in this process today? 
That's my question for you. Where are you in this process? Are you over here kind of resigned to the little things in your life, the little hopes, little, I just, Pastor, you know, that's all well and good. I'm, I'm so glad Jesus is, but can you just tell me how to do a little bit better, how to be a better person, more moral, how to have a better marriage, how to get my children to do what I want them to do? Really, I just want behavioral modification and manipulation. Can you do that for me, Jesus? And, and Scripture invites us to see Jesus as not just a guy who can help us live our lives, but the one who, who brings everything into the proper focus. You were, you were made for so much more than 80 years. You were meant for eternal... Do you realize that you were meant for eternal life? When God made you, he wanted you to live forever. That was, that was the design of humanity, for humanity to live forever with him in fellowship. The Bible talks about having fullness of joy in his presence. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds awesome. It sounds a little bit better than going to Chuck E. Cheese with your kids. Right? It's, it sounds better than eating a delicious dessert. Fullness of joy. That's what you were made for, not just like a little bit of joy. Do you remember what C.S. Lewis said? We're so satisfied with what little we can get when he's saying, I have so much more for you. But you and I are separated from God and the joy that he offers because of the debt that we owe. Your sin and my sin, your disobedience to God, my disobedience to God, your unwillingness to follow him separates us from him. And Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so that anyone who would trust in him would live forever and have the biggest hope that anyone can have. That's, that's why Jesus came, to save you. And, and, and salvation, saving, looks like Jesus becoming the most important thing in your life. It's not a, it's not a ticket out of hell. It's an invitation into a proper recognition of who Jesus is and who you were made to be. Have you recognized who Jesus is today? Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have shown us in your son who you are. I thank you that you have offered eternal life. I thank you, God, that you have defeated Satan, sin, and death, and that for anyone who trusts in you, you offer eternal life, fullness of joy, hope that is everlasting. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as, as the one who rules your life, as the one who saves your life, as the one who gives you life and purpose, when you want to trust in him today, would you just raise your hand? While well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. There's nothing magic in the raising of the hand, but it's a way of responding to what God has said and done. Father God, we thank you and we pray that you would move us from resignation to recognition. Amen. Love you, family.